And welcome into Positive Life. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is going to be on God is in the details and knows your name. The saying God is in the details is used to emphasize the importance of paying careful attention to the tiniest things. That principle holds, but there is a greater theological sense to these words, namely that our Creator reigns fully over every detail. And from Psalm 37, 23 through 25, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging bread. Rick Warren writes, Love, trust, and obey God's details. So I'm not a detail person. I have had a hard time giving my attention to small parts of something for any significant period of time. What about you? Are you detail-oriented? Do you know who is? God. God cares about every little detail of your life. Have you ever stopped to look closely at nature? Take a flower, for example. Each flower is filled with so many intricate details. And think of the human body. God says he even numbers every hair on your head. He cares about the details. Because he is God of detail, he not only wants you to obey him, he also is interested in the details of how you obey him. God wants you to obey him in the right way and for the right reasons. There's an example of this in the Bible. A man named Naaman was ill with leprosy. He went to the prophet Elisha and asked what he should do. This is the message Elisha sent. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed, from 2 Kings 5.10. Naaman was insulted. He had expected a dramatic healing from the prophet, not bizarre, humiliating instructions. But his servants talked him into following God's detailed instructions, even though he didn't understand them. The result? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy from 2 Corinthians 5.14. Do you think there was a special power in the water? Absolutely not. Naaman was healed because of his obedience. He had faith. He obeyed God completely. When you obey God completely, you're showing that you love him and trust him. When you love someone... You often do something the way they want it done just because you love that person. And when you trust someone, you do something how they want it done because you trust they know best. So when you love and trust God, you do things the way he wants them done. You obey him completely. Faith is trusting God in the details of life. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Once upon a time, some animals wanted to start a school. They decided the courses would include running, climbing, swimming, and flying. Then they decided that all the animals should take all of the courses. That's where the problem started. The duck was better than his teacher at swimming, but he only made passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. So they made him drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to badly worn, and his grade dropped into average in swimming. But everybody felt less threatened and more comfortable with that except the duck. 
The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but because of so much makeup work in swimming, he caught pneumonia and had to drop out of school. The squirrel showed outstanding ability in climbing, but he was extremely frustrated in flying class because his teacher insisted that he start from the ground up rather than the treetop down. He developed Charlie horses from overextension, so he got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was the problem student and was disciplined for being a nonconformist. For instance, in climbing class, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but he insisted on flying to get there. Finally, because he refused to participate in swimming class, he was expelled. As you might imagine, the animal's school didn't work. Different animals are designed to excel in specific areas, and they can't be expected to do all the other things. A duck is made to be a duck, not anything else. It's the same for people. God has designed each person different from all the others. When you expect everyone to fit in the same mold, the result is frustration, discouragement, mediocrity, and failure. God made you to be you. He has given you unique abilities, and he wants you to use them the way he intended. Are you wondering what God's will is for your life? Look at your abilities. They're your roadmap. They point you in the direction you should go. When you know what you're good at, then you can know what God wants you to do with your life. So the Bible says, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. From Hebrews 13.21 Through your abilities, God has equipped you to do his will. As you use those abilities you'll start to see how he produces every good thing in your life. And from Psalm 139, 13 through 16, For you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you catch those last two lines? All the days ordained for you were written in his book. I like to call it his script for our lives. Before one of them came to be, God has seen all our days in front of him before we've lived out any of them. That means nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing is unexpected to him. And nothing affects you and me that is outside of his loving plan for us. The writer's designer and director of our life script knows exactly what he's doing. Even when we think something is spiraling out of control. In Ephesians 2.10 we read, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There it is again. God prepared good works in advance before we were even born and placed into our life's script. In a more modern translation, that verse, in the context of three verses preceding it, reads like this. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in the world, and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. 
It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. When I read words like that, I am in awe that God has a master plan for us. He has given us the privilege of living in close communion with him to discover the many amazing facets of his character. And he has made us the conduit through which he can accomplish his purposes here on earth. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, we are told that God is doing in the midst of what we consider unexpected drama in our lives. We know that God causes everything to work together for good, and those who love God are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. The promise from God assures us that he not only continues working in the script of our lives to make sure we reach his desired outcome, but he has an overall goal for our story, that we are conformed to the image of his son. That, my friend, is why we sometimes find ourselves in this swirl of unexpected, unfortunate, unwanted circumstances. Through the drama, God is making us more like Jesus. Your life is not the small, insignificant story you often believe it to be. Nor it is a huge deal that it is all about you that you sometimes make it into. Your life is a story designed by and for your Maker who wants to glory in his accomplishments in and through you to make you more like his son. So the drama that comes your ways is designed to change you and transform you into the person he has made you to be. It also means your script is in his hands, and you don't need to panic or fret or pull your hair out when you can't control what's happening. So next, I want to play you a song, and the song is called He Knows My Name by Tommy Walker. And here it is. I have a maker He falls time began my life was in his hand he knows my name he knows my every thought he sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call I have a father He calls me his own He'll never leave me No, never leave me 
He knows my name Can you believe it? He knows my every thought He sees each tear that falls And hears me when I call And He hears me Hey, what a great song by Tommy Walker. And here's what Tommy said regarding this song. He says, I originally wrote the song in 1996 to accompany my pastor's Mark Pickerel's sermon with the same name. I am so humbled and grateful that God has chosen to use it as one of his instruments to reveal the Father's love and bring his healing. One of the greatest truths of Christian's faith is that the God of the Bible is a personal God who knows us and makes himself known. At the core of who we are, more than anything else, we long to be known and loved, and that's exactly what we are. Through Jesus Christ, God has provided the way for us to enjoy his personal relationship with him. So Lord, I pray that you will touch people on the deepest level through this song and Remind each of us that we are never forgotten, unwanted, or unloved, no matter who we are, who has rejected us, or what we have done. Amen. And from 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on you, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. John 10, 3, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isaiah 43, 1, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. 
Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And from Psalm 139.17, How precious are your thoughts about me. O God, they cannot be numbered. Psalm 56.8, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And from Exodus 33.17, The Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. So next, I want to read you a story, and it's called A Special Delivery. So we were back in the Congo for our second term of missionary service. Our kids were young. Bob was six, Dick was four, and Paul was just a few months old. Our Christmas in Africa was just around the corner. Bob and Dick were old enough to remember their last Christmas in the States, and the memories of it danced in their heads. White snow, sledding, brightly lit trees, programs, parties, and lots of gifts at both sets of grandparents' homes. Everyone had gone out of their way to make a special Christmas for two little boys who would soon be gone for what would be an eight-year stint in tropical Africa. Now we were on that continent in the middle of the dry season with this intense heat. No white Christmas, rather only brown, bare ground. All the dry grass had been burned off as protection from fires that could spread unhindered and a land that had no fire departments. While helping excited African children prepare for their special program to celebrate Jesus' birthday, my mother's heart grew heavy because of my lack of traditional holiday preparations for my own boys and the disappointment that might be theirs. God had called us, their parents, to that land, and we didn't mind the things left behind. But did that mean that our children should not have them? I decided to do the best I could to make it special for them, too. Several weeks before Christmas, I had Bob and Dick make bright paper chains to wind around the tree that we would find somewhere. What fun they had doing that. Next day, they colored paper bells, stars, and ornaments with their crayons. Then we popped corn and made long strings of it as garland for the tree. It made us think of snow, with each kernel shaped a bit differently. That day came to find a tree. A branch from a papaya tree with its green leaves would have to do. The boys enjoyed decorating the drooping branches and never had an evergreen looked so grand. There were no gifts, however, to put under the tree. Again, my heart ached. Christmas Eve came. We all made our way over to the church to attend the program. Joseph stood so proudly watching over his little family. How serious was he as I looked down at a tiny baby Jesus in the manger. Mary, in her pretty blue wraparound, was beautiful, as is every new mother. The shepherd boys came all dressed up in Bob and Dick's bathrobes, dragging their live sheep and lambs with them. Last of all came the wise men, following the star we had rigged up to lead their way, each one bringing his gift to the newborn king. This is what Christmas was all about, God's gift of love to us and our gifts in return to him. Our hearts were strangely warmed. After the program, one woman said to me, as her face beamed with joy, This is the best Christmas we've ever had. Thank you for making it so wonderful. And so, with full hearts, we made our way home to the drooping 
papaya branch. The kids thought it was beautiful. After all, they had made it all by themselves. No store-bought decorations here. After dinner that evening, we heard the sound of a truck coming up the road to our house. Who could that be at this hour? Certainly not the mail truck, because this was not the day for mail. But there it was, lumbering up the road. As the friendly African driver jumped down and greeted us, he tossed down a huge mail sack. Out of it tumbled letters, cards, and several packages. The grandparents and friends had sent many, many weeks earlier. And the Lord, who knows a child's heart, had somehow had them delivered at exactly the right time. Beautifully wrapped gifts for each one. Excitedly, the boys hurried to arrange the packages under the papaya branch to be opened the next morning. Yes, God has sent not only the wonderful gift of His Son to give us life eternal, but also gifts to cheer the hearts of two little American boys in the very middle of Africa. So Billy Graham was asked a question about God knowing the details of our life. And here's the question. I have a hard time believing that God is interested in every detail of our lives. Maybe he's interested in the big things that happen to us, but I think he's probably got too much else to do to worry about the small things. Am I right? And Billy Graham's answer? No, you aren't right. And you should be glad you aren't, because it means that God is concerned about everything that happens to us. It also means we can bring even the smallest concern to him in prayer. Knowing that he cares about us and watches over us. Why is God concerned not only about the big things, but the small things in our lives? One reason is because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care what happens to us. And he certainly wouldn't care about the little details that often preoccupy us or cause us the greatest worry. But he also does love us. And we know this because he sent his only son into the world to purchase our salvation. Jesus said, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid from Matthew 10, 30 and 31. But we know God is concerned about even the smallest things for another reason, his greatness. Listen, God is so great that even the very smallest detail of the universe is under his control. The most distant galaxy, the littlest seed, even the smallest subatomic particle. Everything was created by him and is under his sovereign control. God is that great. In Christ, the Bible says all things were created and in him all things hold together from Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So most of all, God is concerned about you and me. If you have never done so, turn to Jesus Christ and by faith humbly submit your life to him. So I'm going to end today's episode on an audio clip from Billy Graham called Know the God's Will for Your Life. And here it is. Many Christian students ask me the question, how can you know God's will for your life? Many non-Christian students ask the same question. To know and to follow the will of God has been the heart's desire of people down through the ages. David said, teach me to do thy will. The Bible teaches that God has a plan for every life and that if we live in constant fellowship with him, he will direct us and lead us into the fulfillment of this plan. God does not reveal his will through fortune tellers or soothsayers or workers of hocus pocus. His will is made known to those who have trusted Christ for salvation. He shares this secret only 
with those who are redeemed and transformed by Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that there are several ways outlined in Scripture through which we can discern and know the will of God. First, one of the ways we can discover the will of God is from the Bible. A will is null and void if it is not in writing. That is what the word testament means. You've often wondered what Old Testament and New Testament mean. The word testament actually means will. In the New Testament, we have a new will that God has put in writing. It has endured for centuries. It has never been revoked. It is still valid today. If you want to know the will of God, set aside a special time every day to read the Bible. Read it prayerfully. Read it regularly. Read it and meditate on it, and it will guide you into His blessed will. God never leads contrary to the written word. Secondly, the will of God is revealed through the Holy Spirit using the Scriptures. When Christ ascended into glory, He sent the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to live in the hearts of His disciples. Jesus said, When He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Thirdly, the will of God can be revealed through a transformed conscience. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, says Paul. When one is converted to Jesus Christ, his conscience becomes resensitized by the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible means when it says, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Fourthly, the will of God is revealed through circumstances. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So many of us ask God to change the circumstances to suit our own desires rather than conforming our wills to His will. God has a plan for the life of every Christian. Every circumstance, every turning of destiny is for your good. It is working together for completeness. His plan for you is being perfected. All things are working together for your good and for His glory. Don't let circumstances distress you. Rather look for the will of God to be revealed in and through them. There may be distress, sickness, bereavement or unhappiness in your life. Look in that bereavement, look in that sickness, look in that persecution and tribulation for the will of God. Because God is building and perfecting and pattering your life after that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus had to suffer, so God allows His children to suffer that they might come to the full maturity in Christ. Fifthly, the will of God is revealed through prayer. Prayer puts us in the proper attitude to discern and to know the will of God. It is important for you to get away with God in prayer every day. It is there, in the quiet place, away from the din and confusion of the world, that God makes His will known. We are admonished to seek out the will of God. In Ephesians 5.17 we read, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The hundreds listening to my voice at this moment, who are outside the will of God. You were made for fellowship with God. God has a wonderful blueprint for your life and He's patiently waiting to put it into operation. But something has gone wrong. Your air castles have crumpled before your eyes. Your hopes have been shattered. You do not know God's plan as yet because you are unwilling to submit to Him. 
you have not heeded the command of Christ to repent of your sins. In His eyes you are perishing. But it is not God's will that any should perish. It is not God's will that you should live under the crushing weight of sin. It is not God's will that you suffer defeat after defeat. Christ says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Dare to open the door of your heart and let God perform that miracle of pattering your life according to the blueprint which was drawn in heaven long ago. So that does bring us to the end of our episode today. And my closing prayer, as always, is that God blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. Hey, next week's episode is going to be on I Am the God of Abundance. So you can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And everywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light for free. I hope everybody had a great week. God bless. And we'll catch you next week.